Well, good morning, Purpose Church, and happy Father's Day. And to all of you fathers, all of you granddads, stepdads, uncles, men who play significant roles in influencing the next generation, it's our desire today. You'll be encouraged, you'll be affirmed, and, and also challenged, uh, we trust, from God's Word. As, uh, as I was just thinking and praying about this opportunity to come today, I was reminded of uh, so many incredible scriptures that talk about fathers and their children. Ephesians 6 kind of gives us an indication and a description of kind of the ideal dad and, and husband. In John chapter 4, you see a man who just is so persistent in prayer, almost annoying, but he's so persistent that God ultimately brings an answer to his prayer for his child. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, we see several examples. One is the father who had the unconditional love for his child, even in some of the greatest sins that that uh, son could have performed. You know, David in 1 Kings chapter 2 talks about some of, the, some of the last words, his dying words, to his son Solomon who would replace him as king of Israel. Genesis 22 talks about this amazing relationship of love between a father and a son and how the father opts to, uh, to, do, to put God first in that relationship. That was Abraham, if you know that passage. But there's an interesting verse that pops up in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And uh, there's, there's a phrase in there that's just so poignant, I think, for we as fathers to consider. And it goes like this, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. Acts 13, 22. David's life was a portrait of great successes and really strong falls. He was, uh, he was a far, more, far from perfect, but he was kind of a cut above so many other potential kings of Israel. And David had this strong desire in his heart to do, what, to do everything that God would want him to do. His heart was a heart that was pointed towards God. The Bible warns us on many occasions not to have a lukewarm heart, not to have a double-minded heart, not to have a cold heart or an unbelieving heart, but to have a heart that follows after God. In fact, David cried out as he did in many of the Psalms in Psalm 139 when he said, search me, O God, and know me, and know my thoughts, and try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Well, how can a man become more like this kind of a man? How can we as men have a heart that is more loving towards the things that are tender and important to God? How can we develop and create and cultivate a heart that follows after God? We catch a lot of insights from an Old Testament verse in Proverbs 4.23. And uh, Solomon writes this, actually. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You see, if we pollute our hearts, the wellspring of our lives, it's like an infection that just goes through all throughout our heart, all throughout our actions. And if it's not dealt with correctly, it becomes more public and it even can result in public shame. But just as we'll see in a few moments about David, he was a man who God forgave, who God restored. David still had to deal with some of those consequences but he was restored into a relationship, a loving, lovingly relationship with God, and God used him mightily in what transpired next in his life. 
I have a chance to do something, the Bible says, before these temptations become sins to pollute the wellspring of my heart. I might be at work one day and my supervisor calls me in and he asks me to do a task that I am so against doing. It's, so, it's, it's almost beneath me. And yet, uh, there's nothing morally wrong with it, but it's just something that I have to do, and I just, my attitude just shifts from being, like, looking forward to the day to now just dreading this day or this week during the life of this project. What I need to do is I need to read God's Word. I need to do God's Word and apply it. And there's a wonderful verse in Philippians chapter 2 that says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything everything without complaining, without arguing. Well, what if, I'm, uh, what if I'm easily tempted to entertain impure thoughts about the opposite sex? The Apostle Paul has some great words for us, found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You see, I have a chance when temptation comes to me, I have a chance to push it away in a very proactive way by taking God's Word and shoving it right back into the face of the one who's tempting me, Satan. I might be prone to anger. James chapter 1 says this, my dear brothers, take note of this, everyone should be quick to hear or quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Using these, uh, this, this is a bit of a background. We move into David's life, and there's, there's three, well, there's so many lessons to learn from David, but three in particular today I want us to take a moment to, to review. Taking to heart uh, that David just had this, this wonderful love for God. Number one, we see that David feared God in his heart. We read in Psalm 34, David says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Hey guys, uh, David had a high view of God. He feared God. It wasn't a fear out of fright, but it was a fear out of respect, out of honor and out of a sense of awe. And his fear for God, his vertical relationship of fear with God was so strong that it influenced his horizontal relationships. And so he found out that even though he might have been afraid of some of the kings and armies who were standing against him and the nation of Israel, his fear of God came first. And his fear of God became the cure-all for, for those horizontal fears in his life because one fear cures the other. We also learn from David's life that David trusted God in his heart. We read in 1 Samuel 17, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And now this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is unadulterated, unyielding confidence in Almighty God. Based upon his fear of God and his picture of God, David also had the ability to trust God with every part of his life. 
And this faith we see in the, in the fact in Hebrews chapter 11 there, uh, the writer tells us in chapter 11 that he is a part of the, the, the chapter of faith. You can read about David kind of midway through that chapter. He earned the right to be there. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. We learn from David that he had a fear of God in his heart. He had an, just an amazing ability to truly trust God from his heart. But we also learn that David was a man who had a repentant heart. He writes in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You know, this, uh, we've, we've heard the definition of grace. It's getting something that we don't deserve. And the definition of mercy is not getting what we do deserve. David was treated by God with tender mercy. He was a man, you just have to ask yourself, how could a lying and adulterous, murderous man find God's mercy? Well, he did. A man after God's own heart. When the prophet Nathan came to David one day and just showed him his sin, David, without hesitation, rather than kill this prophet for this kind of bad news, he embraced this news and he fell straight before God, prostrate, and he just began to confess his sins to Almighty God. You see, he was a guy, to, he was a gentleman, who, a man who was not perfect by any means. But oh, how he desired to have a pure heart before God and to take care of his sins quickly. See, there's a forgiveness for all of us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever your greatest sin or sins might be, there is wonderful forgiveness at the cross. No man after God's own heart is perfect, yet he will recognize his sin and he will repent of it. In fact, our sins are forgiven and forgotten and cast into the deepest part of the sea, cast from the east as from the west, and yet we need to forgive ourselves as well. Men, to know God's heart and to be a man after God's own heart requires that I guard my heart, that I become proactive by guarding my heart as the wellspring of my life. And so I need to take care of it. I need to be defensive in guarding it, in offensive in, in being quick to for, ask God's forgiveness of sins. I need to be like David and I need to have a heart that fears God, that put God, puts God in, its, in his rightful place. And I fear no one else and I fear no other circumstances. Rather, I fear Almighty God because one fear cures the other. And then I trust God in my heart. I trust him with everything that I have. Everything that I do, I trust him. I have confidence in him. I'm fully persuaded that he will deliver me from whatever I am going through. And then I have a heart that's repentant. And when I sin, I go immediately to my loving Heavenly Father. And I invite him to take over my heart, to forgive me of my sin or my sins, and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I repent, and I go the opposite direction from that sin and move forward in my life. 
Guard my heart, men. Fear God in your heart, men. Guys, trust God in your heart and have a repentant heart. And gentlemen, as I close, I just want to give you a blessing. And it goes something like this. As for now, may the Lord just present us perfect before him in his presence one day. Before Almighty God, to God be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you men, and happy Father's Day. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Randy. What an encouraging message and a, and a reminder to be men who know God's heart. And for a few minutes, to all of you men out there, to you husbands and dads and uncles and grandparents, I want to encourage you with how we can know God's will. But I want to be honest with you on this Father's Day, my, my heart is a, a little heavy. I, I have this new friend that I've gotten to know over the last few months. And, and two weeks ago, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And we were so excited about that and all that God was doing in his life. And, and just this weekend, he passed away. And me and uh, my friend Tim, who are close with with Ryan. Ryan is a, a father of three and, and a husband, and my heart is heavy today for, for his family and, and the unbearable pain that they are experiencing. And, and even as we talk about Father's Day, I recognize that some of you are experiencing pain because maybe your dad's no longer with you, or maybe that relationship with your dad is a complicated broken relationship, but the reality remains dads have a profound impact on their families. Maybe it was your dad's unconditional love that made an impact on you. Maybe it was his work ethic. Maybe it was his absence. Maybe it was your dad's tears. Maybe you grew up in a home like mine where I didn't see my dad cry a lot. I mean, he is a very emotional man and sensitive and, and loved us so well, but we didn't see him cry a whole ton. And I'll never forget that trip when we were at Palm Springs as a family. And I must have been an eighth grader. And, and dad all of a sudden just started crying. And he said, son, some of the things that are going on in you right now are breaking my heart. You see, I was living in this rebellious, these, making these bad decisions, and, and I saw my dad cry over it, and it had a profound impact on my life. Maybe it was your dad's self-control that made an impact. Maybe it was his generosity, or maybe it was his unwillingness to apologize. Maybe it was his uncontrollable anger or his neglect of you. I don't know what it was exactly, but I do know that dads have a profound impact on the lives of their families. And I know that you dads of Purpose Church, that you want to have a lasting positive impact on your family and on your community. But parenting is hard. I mean, there's some challenging days, aren't there? The, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, Brinley, one of my daughters, uh, my oldest daughter, her and I were just walking, just having a normal conversation, and Brinley literally turns to me and she says this, she says, Daddy, are you excited for God to crush Satan's head? I mean, can, you just, like, can you just let that settle in for a minute? I mean, we were just talking about the flowers, and all of a sudden, Daddy, are you excited for God to crush Satan's head? And I didn't know how to respond exactly, and so I was kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, that, and I just didn't know where the conversation was going to go, and then she said this, she said, Daddy, are there any other names for Satan? And I was like, well, yeah, the, the Bible calls him the devil, and then Brindley literally says this, she goes, ooh, Daddy, 
I really like that name. Right? I mean, we just transitioned from crushing his head to all of a sudden, all of a sudden admiring his name. And as parents, as dads, as influencers over young people, there are so many moments like that where we have to ask the question, what do I do? How do I handle myself in this situation? Well, men, I'm convinced that you will make an eternal impact when you begin to live your life in the center of God's will. How do you do that? How do you live your life in God's will? Well, our gut reaction to what is God's will is oftentimes, God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? And God, who do you want me to be with? We think of God's will as revolving around a place, a position that we'll have, and people that we will be with. But men and husbands and dads, God, before God calls you to something, before God calls you to do something, he will call you to be someone. And that is what I want to talk about for just a few minutes together. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church that, as we find out in chapter 1, verse 6, is experiencing severe suffering. So these words that guide you and I in understanding God's will for our lives are not written to a group of people where everything is going well. It's written to a group of people who are experiencing some suffering. And I imagine that most of you, if not all of you, are experiencing some measure of suffering right now. And so what is God's will? Well, let me read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, and then we're going to break it down together. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what is God's will for me? Number one is this. Start your day with rejoicing. Men, first thing God wants you to know that's at the very center of his will for your life is that you would start your day with rejoicing. Remember what verse 16 said? It said rejoice always. To to rejoice means to express joy. Now the question is what is the inspiration for that rejoicing? Here it is, man. It is God's presence. That is the inspiration for the rejoicing that we are called to always do. Paul clarifies it in Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again as if we are so prone to run into the busyness of our days, into the complications, into the negativity, into the pain and suffering. Paul says rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What is it that inspires you and I's rejoicing? It's the presence of God. Men, rejoicing is not some kind of passive, let's pretend everything is okay. We're just going to sing some songs. No, no, no. Rejoicing is a holy response to God in the face of your enemies, in the face of your oppressors, in the face of being misunderstood and misrepresented. And it is a kind of response to life, to everything going around you that says, I am going to choose to proclaim that God is here, that God God is good, that God loves me. I'm going to choose to hold on to those promises louder than any other voices that I'm hearing. Men, 
choose to root yourself in rejoicing. You need to root yourself in something deeper than your anger or your pain or your fear. Root yourself in rejoicing. Number two, Paul says at the very center of God's will is that you and I would fill your day with praying, that we would fill our day with praying. Verse 17 says this, pray continually. Men, are are you continually screaming at the TV or are you continually crying out to God? I I had... uh, a hangout this week with a police officer here in our community. And him and I were talking, and I just wanted to check in on him and hear how things are going in his life right now. And he began to tell me that when he would go to work over these last few weeks, he would text his wife and ask his wife to pray for him. And, and I thought I knew why, but I decided to ask. And I said, well, why were you asking her to pray for you? And he said, Because God has given me so many opportunities to share the gospel. He's opened up so many doors for me to tell people about Jesus that I'm just asking my wife to cover me in prayer that I might have more opportunities to tell people about the goodness of Jesus. Wow, what a mindset. You know, for for many of you, I've gotten lots of videos and, and articles about all that's going on in the world right now. And they've been so helpful. And I've, I've loved reading and watching every single one of them. But before I do, I want you to know I, I've been praying this prayer. God, help me to see as you see. Can I ask you, are, are you willing to pray the same prayer? Are you willing to absorb all of the content that is streaming into your heart with, with a sort of discipline that says, God, I want to see as you see. Because the Christian should never be asking, how do Republicans or Democrats see this? The Christian should never be asking, how will Fox or CNN talk about this? But the Christian should always be praying, God, how do you see this? I want to hear as you hear. I want to see as you see. I think this is what the wisdom writer in Proverbs chapter 18, 2 was saying. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinion. You see, you and I, what we need more than anything is we need understanding from God about all that is going on around us. Let me just ask a question. Are your opinions shaped by God's word or your favorite news anchor? <laughs> there, I just said it. I just, I'm just asking us as a church for me to think about this. Are our opinions shaped by the word of God, by, by, by a, a prayer life that is continually crying out to him, or are they shaped by our favorite news anchor? Psalms 119, verse 11 and 12 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. That's the kind of heart that you and I want to have. Maybe some better prayers would be this. God, would you help me to feel the pain of another? God, how do you want to use me? You know, this weekend on Friday was Juneteenth, which is the, the holiday that we celebrate here in America that, that commemorates June 19th, 1865, when the Union Army went into Galveston, Texas, and read for the last time to a group of slaves who had no idea they were free, the Emancipation Proclamation. And for us as a family, we wrestled with how do we celebrate this historic and important day? 
One of the things we did is we decided to watch the movie Ruby Bridges. It's, it's a Disney movie, and it's an incredible, incredible film. And it, it tells the story of in 1960 in New Orleans, six-year-old Ruby Bridges was the first African-American child to integrate into an all-white public elementary school in the American South. Every day for months, federal marshals escorted Ruby past a mob of angry parents shouting threats and insults at this six-year-old girl. On Ruby's first day, 150 protesters gathered outside and yelled at her. There was one woman who would bring a black doll in a coffin to intimidate her. Once Ruby was safely inside, she sat in a classroom all by herself with Barbara Henry, the only teacher willing to instruct her, while parents kept their children from attending school with Ruby. During that first year, child psychiatrist Robert Coles met with Ruby for several months to help her cope with the fear and the stress that she was experiencing. He would observe her talking to the crowd who was saying mean things to her, and he thought she was expressing her anger towards them. But when he asked Ruby about it, he was amazed to find out that Ruby was not talking to the protesters. She was talking to God. And every day she walked by those protesters. This is what she prayed. Please, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And lastly, number three, God's will for you and I is that you and I would end our day with thanking. Verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say give thanks for everything that's going on. It says give thanks in all that is going on. Friends, a life of thankfulness will give you the energy you need to press into the injustices and brokenness and pain and sin and struggles of your own life. In a sense, thankfulness becomes the fuel for resiliency. And so men, dads, fathers, all of Purpose Church, what are you thanking God for? What is he doing in your life that you can appreciate him for? Men, husbands, dads, let's live in the center of God's will. Let's start our day with rejoicing. Let's fill our days with praying. And let's end our days with thanking him.